Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Fantasy, a podcast channel on the New Book Network. This is your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the Historical Fantasy Falcon series and Girl of Fire, the first in the YA fantasy series. My March interview is with Shauna McGuire, and I'll be discussing Across the Green Grass Fields, which is a standalone novel in the Wayward Children series. In Across the Green Grass Fields, a portal transports a horse-loving 10-year-old, Reagan, to the hooflands. Soon she becomes part of a centaur herd, learning how to herd unicorns, finding her place as an apprentice healer, and making a new best friend her own age, a centaur girl named Chicory. She finds herself at ease in her new role, and other than missing her parents, would be content to continue in her life. But the population of Hufflands has expectations for her. Expectations that even running away can't evade. Humans have always saved Hufflands from bad things. And soon, too, it will be Reagan's turn. A bit about Shannon. She has a variety of bios on her highly informative website, which is her name, Shannon McGuire. I've excerpted one bio from something that a friend wrote. There is a world where everything works. There is a world where everyone is multi-talented, where everyone can write, sing, versify, draw, dance, sew, and turn their hands to anything you care to name. There is a world where it is not necessary to add, and it harm none, to do what ye will, because it would quite simply never occur to anyone that harming another was in any way good or useful. Shannon McGuire has come at great personal cost from this world to live among us, and we are enriched thereby. So before I talk to Shannon, I'm going to do a short reading from her book. This is right after Reagan has met her first centaur whose name, it turns out, is Pansy. Welcome to the Hooflands, said Pansy. We're happy to have you. Even if you being here means something's coming. Uh, Something's coming? Reagan scrambled to her feet, dusting crushed flowers and mud off the seat of her jeans. When a human shows up in the Hooflands, it means something bad's about to happen. You're tricky little things. Well suited to tight spaces and thumbs. Having thumbs is sort of like having a magical sword no one can take away from you. It's destiny. Pansy held up her hands and wiggled her own thumbs exaggeratedly. Centaurs do have thumbs, but we can't fit in a lot of places that humans can, and we don't swim very well. Swim? asked Reagan blankly. She was starting to feel as if she'd been dropped into a conversation that had started long before her arrival. Well, sometimes swimming counts. 
Pansy grabbed the unicorn by the horn and tugged it towards her. If you're done being shocky and convinced none of this is happening, you should come with me. Everyone's going to be so excited to meet you. Do you have a name? I can't just keep calling you the new human. Oh, Reagan, said Reagan unsteadily. Oh, good name, said Pansy. Well, come on, Reagan. We can't stand here all day and expect the world to come to us. Still holding the unicorn's horn, Pansy began walking into the trees, back in the direction from which she had come. Lacking any better idea about how to cope with this strange new situation, Reagan hugged her school bag to her chest and hurried after the centaur. Pansy smelled of clean fur and good honest horse sweat, and that alone was enough to make Reagan's shoulders relax a little. This was all strange and impossible, and maybe not even happening. But horses were horses, and as long as there were horses, things would turn out all right in the end. So asked Pansy, what brings you here? Then she laughed as if she just said the funniest thing in the entire world. Uh, my feet, ventured Reagan. Pansy laughed even harder, her grasp on the unicorn's horn never slipping. I like you, human Reagan, she said. You're all right. I always thought a human would be stuck up and weird. But hey, you're almost like a normal person. So... We're going to move on, and I'm going to call Shannon. And I've got Shannon McGuire on the show today. Welcome, Shannon. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're quite welcome. So today we're going to talk about your uh, new novel, Across the Green Grass Fields. And I've prepared some questions. I think we'll jump right in. Okay, great. So, being destined to be a hero is a very popular trope in fantasy right now, especially for young women. Reagan says she's not there to save anyone. So, how does she feel about destiny? Does the outcome of the novel reinforce her views? So, my actual academic background is in folklore, and the idea of being a chosen one or having a preordained destiny is not just popular now it's popular going back to the beginning of human history. We love the idea, collectively and communally as a species, that you could be chosen to do something special and important. And we sometimes elude the fact that if you can be chosen by the universe to do something special and important, you exist solely for the reason of doing this big important thing, then free will kind of leaves the equation. So in Reagan's case, she doesn't like the idea of destiny at all. She doesn't like the idea that because of choices other people made or things about herself that she did not choose, she could be already set into her life path. She wants to make her own decisions. Uh, the outcome of the novel both reinforces her views and goes counter to her views. She's able to reject to a certain degree the destiny that people say she has to fit. She, ha she is able to chart her own path but she is also moved by forces outside of her control due to the nature of the world in which she exists. Yeah, going to the forces that are beyond her control. After all, there is the question of the portal, which seems like mm -hmm. something that fate allows to happen. And it operates in a certain way. Uh, presumably, it only allows access to hooflands for certain people. Uh, I was wondering about the portal. Does it only appear to those who are in crisis? 
No. So the doors in the Every Heart of, Uni- Every Heart of Doorway universe um, are known in some worlds and not in others. Earth is a world where we know about the doors, but we don't believe that they exist. And then the Hooflands, they know about the doors, they believe in them, they have accepted that they have a material influence. And what they actually go by is compatibility. They are looking for people who don't fit the world in which they are, but would better fit the world on the other side of the door. So you do meet characters throughout this series who would have been completely miserable and out of place in one another's worlds. They would not have been better off. Uh, Reagan was in crisis when her door found her because that's how stories work, right? (laughs) You don't really want to begin with, here's Bob. Bob is super happy and having a great life. Bob is in his room coloring when a door opens in the wall. So he goes through it. There's not really much narrative thrust there for Bob at that point. No, there isn't. So uh, Reagan's crisis occurs when she finds out that she's intersex. And this is the cause of her uncertainty at the moment, and it leads to painful rejection by a friend or quasi-friend. But as far as I could tell, it has no further bearing in her life in the Hooflands. And I was wondering, is that the whole point that you were trying to make? That actually was. You know, people people just exist. A thing that you hear sometimes when uh, folks are talking about the push toward increased literate, increased diversity in literature is, oh, my God, that character's just a checklist. Oh, my God, you want that character to be a black, disabled lesbian? Mm-hmm. What the heck? I know black, disabled lesbians. I have friends who are black, disabled lesbians. I have friends who are intersex. I have friends that are every flavor of queer under the rainbow, you know, and those things do impact and shape our lives. Someone who is a wheelchair user is going to be much more aware of how many stairs there are in an area than someone who isn't. Someone that is queer is probably going to be more aware of the dangers inherent in holding their partner's hands than someone who is straight in a heterodominant world. But that's not all that people are. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest complaints that I get from readers when we're talking about, uh, again, that push toward diversity in literature and the books that they've been offered is that straight kids are allowed to be the stars of adventures. Straight kids are allowed to go off and have adventures. And Bob, again, because our Bob in this scenario is a little straight, white, vaguely Christian, able-bodied boy. He fits all of the things that fiction has given us as the default of the human experience. You know, Bob is never asked to defend any aspect of himself. But if I had managed to go through a doorway to a magical world when I was nine, I already knew I liked girls when I was nine. I didn't like them in a sex way because whether you like girls or boys at nine, you like them in a kissing and holding hands way. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think girls or boys had cooties. So if I had gone to Oz like Dorothy did, I probably would have fallen in love with Ozma and wanted to hold her hands and kiss her. And there would have been no reason for me to be queer and in Oz. I would have just been a girl who went to Oz who happened to be queer. And so that is something that I try to focus on a lot in my stories. I try to include a large quantity of diversity, but make sure that I'm not writing after-school specials. These are people who happen to not fit one of those defaults or multiple of those defaults who get to go off and have adventures just like Bob does. (laughs) Okay. So uh, Reagan's very hurt at her friend's rejection. And is it just because of her friend's cruel world? 
uh, cruel words, or is it because Reagan realizes something else? You know, Reagan, to a certain degree, when she is rejected by someone she thought of as a friend, realizes how arbitrary acceptance and rejection really are and how badly she has hurt other people by allowing herself to be told what to think and what to do and who to accept and who to reject. Uh, but mostly it's because of the cruel words. I don't know what your school experience was like. I was not one of the popular children. And I can still tell you what my elementary school bullies said to me. And it's not because I'm dwelling on the past. It's because they hurt. And when you're a kid, you have less to compare to. You know, you don't have a lifetime of cruel words and rejections mm -hmm. to measure the ones you've just received against. Everything is very big because everything is, to a certain degree, out of context. So Reagan is absolutely devastated because she's never experienced that sort of thing before. It hurts really badly. That's true. Her parents are mostly kind to her and understanding. Uh, I also felt that it was just painful for Reagan because she was now at the receiving end and she realized how ignoring her friend's hurtful behavior had caused pain to other people. Mm -hmm. So one of the pleasures of Hoofland's is meeting the centers uh, who take in Reagan. They're essentially adopting her. So tell us a little bit about gender roles in the center world. So the centaurs in the Hooflands uh, live in sex-divided herds. The mares go off in one group and the stallions go off in another. And they all do everything. You know, the child rearing is mostly left to the mares because they're the ones that have them, that give birth to them when they're far away. But normally you would give a, a foal to, to his father uh, at a fairly early age and they would take care of them. And that's based on the behavior of wild horses to a degree. You know, they do tend to segregate in those fashions, and that avoids possible damage within the herd. I just wanted to keep reinforcing for Reagan that there's no right way to be a girl. You mm -hmm. learn what gender roles are from the culture that you're in. So for the centaurs, this is all perfectly normal and perfectly healthy. For us, this would be super weird and probably really traumatic. But for them, this is how the world works. And they wouldn't understand if you told them that things should be more equal and everyone should stay together and you should be functional that way. So even in the Hooflands, one species has certain judgments about the other species, which may or may not be completely true and based on actual interactions. And how does Reagan deal with these judgments? It's a good reminder for Reagan that no one is perfect. If you are a sapient creature, if you can think and form opinions, or even if you're not sapient, you will have judgments on things, you will have opinions. I have four cats, and I love all my cats. They are my cats. But I don't like Meg as well as I like the others. And that's normal. That is how a mind works. You will have judgments and opinions on things that are not necessarily founded on anything reasonable. And unfortunately, uh, societies like to find things that they can dislike. Um, the centaurs are lucky in that they have other intelligent creatures that are not centaurs that they can point at and go, that's a bad thing. And they're wrong, but sometimes you have conflicting access needs. The Kelpies need to drown and devour people. The centaurs need to not be drowned and devoured. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that, that's up a conflict right there. So, uh, the queen who rules Hooflands remains a mysterious figure until the very end. What traits in our subjects help the queen maintain control and cloak her identity? In the Hooflands, because you do have multiple species, and that means that you will inherently have conflicting access needs, back to that early reference to someone who uses a wheelchair will be more aware of stairs, it's possible to set up the palace and set up the grounds in ways that are just inaccessible for a large number of her subjects. And a lot of them do choose to stay fairly segregated. They are herd animals. They don't want to hang out in the palace. They don't want to hang out in the centers of power. They want to stay where they are comfortable and where the environment is suited to them. The Hooflands is a low predation world to mm -hmm. a certain degree where people really just like to go along and have things be easy. And that is pretty suited to humans, too. We really do prefer to just go along and have things be easy. We will rise up and do other things, obviously and absolutely. But for the most part, we are a pretty complacent species. So uh, how does this... Okay. Hmm? Yeah. Sorry, n not you. Uh, I was mentioning cats. I said cats, <laughs> and so... One of my cats has, for the last two questions, been standing up next to my desk chair and jamming her claws into my shoulder as she demands my attention. Lovely. Um, Is she placated? So we finally hit the point. Uh, yeah, I'm rubbing her belly now because we hit the point where she drew blood and I told her to stop. The yelling would have started soon. So, Elsie, uh, thank you for disrupting Mommy's interview. Good girl. <laughs> okay. So it's all handled, I take it. So how does this standalone work within the Wayward Children series, and what does it mean for a child to be wayward anyway? So the Wayward Children books follow a somewhat idiosyncratic structure. The odd-numbered books push forward what I call the timeline, which starts with every heart a doorway and proceeds in a mostly linear fashion. And then the even-numbered books are portal fantasies showing us those children before they wound up at the school. Regan, who we meet in Across the Greengrass Fields, has not yet been seen at Eleanor West's home for wayward children. And uh, you will actually see Regan again. You will see her in next year's book, Where the Drowned Girls Go. Uh, hi, yes, could you stop? Um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's okay. I think super it demanding right just now. livens up the interview anyway, interjects a little bit of life. Yeah, and yelling. Yelling is good. Uh, yeah, occasionally blood. Not thrilled about that part. Um, but basically, you will get to see Reagan again. She's going to show up in Where the Drowned Girls Go. Will you get in my lap, you insouciant ball of hair? Thank you. Um, Elsie doesn't like this question and would like us to move on because she keeps yelling and stabbing me when I try to answer mm -hmm. it. So Across the Greengrass Fields is a bit of a departure. It's the first time we've met someone in their portal fantasy rather than meeting them first in the modern world. And it will fit into the rest of the series. We're going to see Reagan again in Where the Drowned Girls Go, which is the 2022 Wayward Children book. And that is completed and turned in at my publisher. So even if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, it would still release on time. Though they would probably make it some kind of special sad memorial edition. And I'm not planning to jump in front of any buses. That's good to know. So what are you working on if you just turned that in? Uh, right this second, uh, I am also Mira Grant. Um, that is my, uh, my horror and science fiction pseudonym. I really enjoy being Mira. Mira wrote a, uh, an alien, the, uh, 
universe with the with the xenomorphs. Mm-hmm. She wrote an alien YA tie-in. It was the first ever alien YA work, and I am so proud of having been able to do that. But I am working on a Mira Grant novella to be published by Subterranean Press, which has done several Mira Grant standalone novellas, called Square Cube, which I swear I titled, I did not actually title solely to make it hard to talk about, um, but it kind of feels that way because <laughs> the name is literally Square with then the little three, oh. uh, the little superscript three next to it to make, to make it clear that it is a cube number. And it is about physics and family and what happens in the aftermath of the kaiju invasion of Earth. Okay, well, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with New Books Network today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I've been talking to Seanan McGuire about Across the Green Grass Fields, the sixth in the Wayward Children series. Every year, I also try to feature some lesser-known authors with small presses, I'll be posting Anne-Marie Lutz's interview about her novel, Kalinor, shortly. March's regular interview will be with Greta Kelly about her exciting debut fantasy novel, The Frozen Crown, which is the first in the duology. I really enjoyed this read. I'm your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the YA fantasy Girl of Fire, the first in the Baroness Quest series. You'll find the podcast schedule on my website, gabriellematthew.com. I bet you have no idea how to spell that. It's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E-M-A-T-H-I-E-U.com. You can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more. I'm there at Gabrielle Author.